I want to create my own path. I don't want to take someone else's job. I want to do really good work and that be enough. As soon as you leave corporate, you're able to kind of play by those rules. And so you want to work with me because you know that I'm going to do great work. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you call me. I find that that building around the table, it comes because you're able to have that lack of scarcity mindset. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Mind Your Marketing. Today on the show is Christina Garnett. She is the founder at Pocket CZO, which is Chief Customer Officer. She does that fractionally for businesses. She worked at HubSpot for years. She was a math teacher before that. She is really, really a wealth of knowledge when it comes to everything marketing and specifically past the point of sale. So retention, building that relationship with the customer. I love picking her brain about that. We also talked a lot about the second order effects of layoffs at companies that we have to be thinking about if we do a layoff or if a company goes through that, how does that affect the customer experience moving forward? So we get into that. I enjoyed this. I think you will as well. Before we do, though, this show is brought to you by Cave, an agency based out of LA, boutique agency specializing in social media for brands. I'm the founder of that agency. I'm Jordan Shelton, host of this show. If you need help, want to build out some of your social strategies, content, etc., head over to cavesocial.com. We would love to help you out. Now, let's get into this episode. Christina, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, we were just talking offline about the parallel between layoffs and customer experience and how maybe companies haven't thought of the second order effects of layoffs on their business. So I want to let you run with it here. What are you seeing? I know layoffs have been all over the industry. And for those who are listening, we are recording this January 8th of 2024, whenever you are listening. But (laughs) yeah, what have you seen? And run me through this idea of you really... Yeah, the parallel, I guess, experience or the second order effects of layoffs on customers. Yeah, so I've been witnessing a lot of this, as most of us in the tech space have since like late 2022. And so between all of last year, we also saw these ripple of layoffs literally the week before Christmas. And then I know people who've gotten laid off the like last week, the first week of January, came back from holidays bad news everywhere. And so I find that layoffs tend to look like a really good, like rip the bandaid off. Like, all right, now we have more liquidity. We have all this like budget that way. Now we can spend towards other things that are going to move the needle. And it just doesn't really work like that. In addition to being added to a list or a spreadsheet of all these companies who are doing this to people, especially around the holidays, which you don't need to be a PR or comms person to know that that's just not a good look. But in addition to that, what you have is the people who tend to be laid off are not in leadership. They tend to be lower in the totem pole, but those people are also closer to your customers. Those tend to be your account managers. They tend to be the sales team. It tends to be the point of contact for a lot of your customers, your CSMs. And so when you're letting those people go, you're letting the tethers, like the physical relationships to your customers go. And so even if you have a contingency plan, even if you have like transition plans in place, what you're doing is you're cutting an entire relationship barrier at your team and instituting friction. And then if you do other plays, so let's say that you lay off a bunch of people, you've told them they're not going to have their CSM. Now there's a lack of stability into who they've been working with. And is this new person going to have to relearn all of my work and what my needs are? And then 
let's say that in the next quarter you raise prices. Well, why are you raising prices? You just, you should have all this extra budget. You just cut my person. So like the math isn't mathing. And so now what you're doing is you're creating a customer who went from shock to friction to you don't need my money. You cut people. You have money now. Now, whether that's true or not, that is what the customer is going to think. And so I think when you're having these layoffs, we think about the employees and how they're impacted. And we absolutely should. But those people are touching your customers. That's going to impact their experience. It's also going to impact how they see your brand. Because if they're really close to their CSM or their account manager, that's not just a layoff in a newspaper where they're like, oh, that sucks. They're going to actually empathize with that person because they've gotten close. If the CSM and account manager have done their job, that customer feels very close to that person. And I don't think a lot of companies are keeping that in mind. Yeah. Thinking of the second order effects, right? Layoffs are a, a business mechanism. They happen. They're going to continue happening until the end of time. Mm-hmm. But yes. you're so right on that, how the customer feels about it, interprets it. And if you are a challenger product, a challenger SaaS product, it also signals massive instability. If you're yes. doing these layoffs and I took a chance on you, challenger CRM versus just going with a behemoth that has the stabilities and, you know, that famous saying, nobody got fired for hiring I think Xerox or nobody gets hired for or fired for hiring Salesforce. Like everyone has yep. these little clips. And yeah, if you're going to be a challenger and then yeah. you lay off people, increase prices, detach the customer from that experience they were sold on. And then yep. coming in with a cut rate product with maybe it's half the man hours that now are, you know, being attributed to that person or that or that client. It's like, ooh, that's not a very good feeling. And the customer will see that yeah. in their, you know, most rational customers will be like, okay, like, am I staying here? Am I rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic? Or should I be, yep. should I be looking for another vendor? It's a smoke signal. And that's not what you want to send. And I, I think that people are kind of assuming that if we make this layoff, then the next week it'll be someone else and hopefully it'll be a bigger company and we'll just kind of get lost in the press. But people remember, people absolutely remember. And I think that a lot of companies who've had layoffs, when the economy improves and we've gone back to the feast side of it, I think it's going to be very interesting because I think the customers are going to remember and I think that the employees are going to remember who fought for their teams and who just sliced. Oh, and yeah, and how those were done too, right? When you have mm-hmm. things like oh, yeah. the, better, the better.com CEO. Yes. You know, that's like the the one that comes to my mind on like, oh, that guy's an asshat. Like, you know, for lack of a better term. Like I will literally do the extra in like I if I need his service, I will do the extra research to find an alternative. I will make the time. Yeah. Yeah. I want nothing to do with anything going on there, you know? And I am not even a client or anything, but hovering around and seeing that news, that is the imprint that it leaves. So it's very, very important that companies and marketers, everything, we think about when we do anything, what are the second order effects, right? Not just that initial issue or thing that's going to come up, because I think that's so, so huge. Now, to bridge the gap for a lot of these companies, because if we Mm -hmm. agree that, okay, layoffs are going to have to happen for certain brands, companies, you know, just part of the world we live in, talk to me a little bit about how companies can at least, maybe not how companies can, you know, prepare for that, but how companies can use fractional resources to make sure they don't overhire in the first place so that they don't get stuck having to call it like, oh, we're now cutting 20% of the company because we massively overhired. Talk to me about fractional resources and why you made the jump 
to now starting yeah. your own company that offering fractional services. Yeah. So I think when I think we all kind of saw this in some kind of scale was when the pandemic happened and you had low interest rates, you kind of had this perfect storm of feast and creating feast in certain areas where it created famine in others. And for lack of a better phrase, it creates a bubble and everyone's just trying to like maximize their revenue while they're in the bubble, realizing it's going to burst at some point, but we'll just cross that bridge and we get there. And so you see these brands doubling, tripling, quadrupling their employees, and you don't need an MBA to know that that is not sustainable. There's a cliff coming. I can't tell you where the cliff is, but it's there. And so thinking about like, what does sustainability look like so that we can kind of get our ducks in a row? Fractional work is a huge proponent of that. I left HubSpot. I've started Pocket CCO because I find that the customer is always needed and the customer always needs to be appreciated and taken care of because if you have a great product, but like you said, the CEO is an asshat or the, the support for the product just doesn't exist. And when you need them, they're not there. You're eventually going to have someone who can't wait to jump in and be like, I can make something very similar to that, but I'll treat you nicely. And I'll give you a price point that makes sense for your budget. There's, there's going to be that challenger. There's always going to be that blue to red ocean. And so when you're thinking about how to take care of your customers, I find that in the startup and agency space, they need that person to be in the room to advocate for the customer, but they can't afford it. They have other needs. They would hire a CMO far before they would hire a CCO. And that's fine, but they still need someone in that room to advocate for those customers to say, this is the friction point. This would make me churn. This is how I'm going to behave when I'm about to churn and you haven't thought about it. And we need to fix out, we need to figure out how we can save that person because they're starting to show these red flags. And so for me, I, I really loved the work that I did at HubSpot. I got to work with our advocates and our community and I love them, but I wanted to be able to create, create them from like start to finish. And so that's what really attracted me to the chief customer officer because we live post-sale, post-sale customer journey the whole way through. How can I make sure that the handoff from sales to CSM makes sense and that nothing gets lost in the messaging and that the customer feels taken care of immediately? How is the onboarding experience? Do they feel like they're getting what they were sold? Do they feel like it's going to be too hard or too easy? Because sales is going to tell you it's easy. They're going to tell you they can do it in a week. But that onboarding is, is usually where you hit the, the truth wall. Is it actually as easy as they say? Am I going to need to pay extra to get it to do what I need it to do? And then going all the way through. What happens when they hit that wall for the first time, when there's an error and there's a problem? How are you communicating that with that with them? How does the support team work? How do the internal teams talk to each other? Someone could love that customer while that customer's cussing out another person from the team. Do you know that? Do you know like the various sides of your customer all the way through to I'm going to need you to take care of them when the renewal is not coming up. I'm going to need you to not check in. Until then, you know, I think you're spot on and there's a lot in there. I think you said early on and a lot of companies, they're in a red ocean and they don't realize it. They think yes. it's still 2014 and we can just do something cool and there's demand. It's like, no, there's 27 competitors. And now yeah. it's either you need to win on price or customer service and customer experience. And yeah. looking at we as a society and business, I'll say like we as a society talking about the business space, have an obsession with new customer acquisition that is irrational relative to retention. And 100%. it is insane. Like I was 
I don't even care. I'll put them on blast. Unbounce.com. I use them for as a landing page software. Been paying for them for 10 years using them. And I see an offer. They go out new customers at half the, my plan at half the price if you sign up. That's their new monthly. And I messaged them and said, can I get, hey, can I have half the price now if that's the new deal? Oh, that's only for new customers. And I said, I've been a customer for 10 years. You're not going to like, I was like, okay, well, I'm switching now. Yeah. Like this, that was the simplest choice for me ever. Oh, you see me as some LTV that you don't have to do anything for, but new customers can come in at your at half the price. It's, it's like businesses operate at that meme where the guy's holding his girlfriend's hand and he looks at the girl that's passing. That's what every business cares about. They want the new girlfriend. They don't care about the wife beside them. That's exactly what, it's that meme. But that girlfriend has been taking care of you and will continue to take care of you and then can tell everyone in the world how great you are but you'd rather look at the new girl. That's exactly what it is. I'm not against new acquisition. It's necessary. But why are you throwing it all away, this already set engine, when you can take care of them? And there's more stability too. Like if I can take care of them, then that's an engine that I can build off of so that they can have, we can have positive word of mouth. We can have reviews. We can have customer stories. But then that's also an opportunity for them to be like, hey, can we, we'd love you, you're a power user. You absolutely love our product. Would you like to be featured in a video where we do a demo of how to do something? And then that can be shown to the new person. Like you could use them for lack of a better phrase as bait for new customers. And instead you completely alienate them for the new. It makes no sense to me. We over-index and that over-indexing towards the new sale. I think we lose sight of, once again, these second order effects on yes. if you do something in the retention space that's surprise and delight or even just base customer service for uh, for a person who's bought, they can now become a brand advocate for you. So yeah. about a year ago, I bought some pants from a DTC men's brand. I bought the pants. Okay, the pants ripped, right? And I emailed them. And I was like, I know that the six month warranty, whatever, but I'm like, I don't know. I kind of expected based on the price point for the pants to not rip. I didn't do anything crazy. I'm wearing them to an office. They go, oh, no, we can't do that. It's past the blah, 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 right? They're not thinking, okay, now I'm never buying from them again. Because yep. on the flip side, I worked at Lululemon during college. And if somebody brought in some pants that were eight years old and they're like, hey, I'm a little bit, there's a rip. They'd be like, here's a new pair. Go sport yeah. Lululemon and go tell every single person you know how Lululemon did this return for you and treated you well. Yeah. And it's those little things where I understand it kills the margin in the immediate, but it saves the customer over the long haul. It's an investment. Yeah, right. You'll have the same people who don't want to return. Who like we won't replace a hundred dollar pair of pants, but we'll have a Super Bowl ad. Yeah. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. Yeah, and they already paid to get me in the funnel the first point, and it's like yeah. okay. And I'm not saying that like look, I get it. I don't know the economics of their business if they can do that or not. But the big companies that do it, they understand that a little more on saving the customer, yeah. save the customer, do everything to keep people you know singing your praises and purchasing your product. So let me ask you a question. So you said that you were a customer of Unbounce for 10 years. How many emails did you receive during that 10 years thanking you or like giving you an anniversary email? Oh, zero. See, because that costs nothing. I'll tell you the companies who do a great job of it. T-Mobile is the shit. We do. We have them with our business and they have been amazing. They mm -hmm. reach out. They Hey, actually, oh, we just called you to let you know that the prices, there's a new plan that's cheaper. We think you should sign up for. No cost to you. Yeah great, let's do it. Like they're the one company where I'm like, oh, okay. Like they email, they check in, all of that. So it's like, okay, that's a, but they're a massive professional organization and they actually operate with a little bit of care, which you wouldn't expect from a, a telecom provider. But nonetheless, they, I've been impressed. <laughs> now I do want to uh, move on a little bit to you in particular, your background, 
And mm-hmm. I was listening to a past podcast and you were a math teacher for a bit. Yeah, yeah. You studied English. You did a bunch of stuff. And you had this quote where you said, you know, you really feel like cool kids can make their own table. I'm here to make the table for everybody else to sit at. And yeah. I love that quote. Talk to me a little bit about how you take that mindset or take that and apply it to, you know, your business and customer journeys overall. Yeah. So for my company um, specifically, it's part of it is fractional CCO. So fractional chief customer officer, but then there's a consultancy. So there's some people who would love to work with me, but they're like, Christina, I just need you to build a community. Or I just want you to look at the social strategy and tell me like where we're messing up. And so I don't want like I can work across the entire customer journey, but I can also work at like mile markers. And so that way they can help. But in the course of all my work, I've met so many amazing subject matter experts in social, in advocacy, in community. And so my goal is to grow the consultancy side of my business so that there are people who don't want to do the sales part of a business, but they just want to be fed. And so I'm like, I know the best and the brightest. If someone wants to work and be like, hey, if you want to do some consulting on the side, but don't want to start your whole new business, you can join me. You can be a contractor. That way, if I have someone who's like, hey, I need this specific niche and that person does that, let's get that business for you. I also do a lot with sharing of content. I find that that's also something really lovely about leaving the corporate space is that I don't like the scarcity mindset. And in corporate, the scarcity mindset is kind of thrust upon you. Like there's only one director job. There's only this or that. So it becomes a like a zero sum game because that's how it's built. Instead of I want to create my own path. I don't want to take someone else's job. I want to do really good work and that be enough. And so I find that as soon as you leave corporate, you're able to kind of play by those rules. And so you want to work with me because you know that I'm going to do great work. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you call me doesn't matter if you call me your fractional CCO or a consultant or whatever, because that's not what it's about. It's about like, she's going to come in here. She's going to rock her stuff. She's going to do what we need. And it's going to be, we're going to call it a day and our customers are going to have what they need. And so I find that that building around the table, it comes because you're able to have that lack of scarcity mindset. That's what I hope I'm doing. I hope I'm creating a lot of opportunity for people to realize that they can also do it themselves. I've had a couple people, I was in a Forbes article last week. And I've already had like 10 different people reach out to me to be like, either I'm going to do this or I've been thinking about doing this and reading your article kind of like it was that last final sign at the end of the road. And so I hope that people are realizing that they can make their own table. I find that a lot of millennials have been doing all the right things only to be told that it's still not enough. Build your table. They tell you there's no ladder. Build a ladder. Just go away and leave. Be laid (laughs) off, right? It's like we do all the quote unquote right things and then get laid off. And it's like, what the hell? Build it. Build it yourself. It, there's something to that. And for anyone listening who's thinking of, you know, maybe you don't have to start a full-fledged agency, right? Like I have an yeah, agency. No. I like it. I've been doing it 12 years, but it's a different beast than just like doing the contracting work and being like, oh, okay, I can do this and position myself or you can position yourself as a magnet rather than yeah. a person who has to go find all the opportunities and, oh, you go apply for a job and you and your other thousand friends are applying for that that director of, you know, that director role or VP role. And you're like, there's 1200 applicants for this role. Like, oh, this is being handled via some AI machine. And unless you have an internal referral, you're not getting the interview. And it's like so broken. So creating that company where you can come in and with way less risk to these companies, to these brands to go, oh, we'll try it out for 90 days. Yeah. And we'll do it, you know, let's see if it works. Because now we're seeing the the interest rates are way higher. The push for profitability is now. It's there. 
So the overhiring, I like to think they're done. It'll come back. It's like, it's, it's like an accordion hiring. I feel like it's just coming. So starting to expire or expand out, but I love that. I love the mindset around building that table and building your, building your own table. Like you don't need to go work for XYZ brand to prove your worth as a marketer. Like, fuck that. So, like, it's true though. It's true. I mean, like it can be great because you get to see things from this like bigger lens, but I know amazing. I know some, some incredible marketers. There's not a single logo they've worked for you'd recognize. And it doesn't make them any less of a marketer. They're great. They do really good work. But yeah, if you're listening to this and you're like, there's no table for me or I keep banging and they won't even tell me where the table is, build your table. Yeah, for Just real. Build it for yourself. You're so right too. the whole like cachet of working for a big brand and then, oh, like doing a six month spell at whatever LinkedIn and then making it seem like it's your you entire know, personality. You brand. Yeah, my whole personality is ex LinkedIn versus a person who worked at maybe a dent a dental office. Like I think dental offices are the best at marketing in the world. I have this like whole rant because go to a dental appointment and see how many times they message you, follow up with you, make sure everything's okay, book your next appointment. Yeah. They're not playing. They will find a way to get your money and get you back in that chair. And it's yeah. like the third or fourth most uh uh popular thing for people to be scared of. So they're also getting yeah. you over that hill. So I think it's amazing. And I don't even do dental marketing. I just am like <laughs> but once again, not a logo you're not going to yeah. be like, I'm ex Johnson Family Dental on my LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> right? like, <laughs> so when we start to do that, it like makes yeah. that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that that's where it starts to go for me. Where I'm like, okay, you're so spot on. There's a ton of marketers out there doing great work. And if you're one of those listening, where you're like, well, I don't work for Snapchat and I don't live in the Bay Area, it's like it's all good. You can go. Fine. Create your own table, create your own company, and start to do the work you want to do. Christina, this has been uh, really fun. Now, before I let you go, let people know where they can connect with you online, uh, learn more about Pocket CCO, et cetera. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm not going to call it X. I live there, that Christina G. You can find me on LinkedIn, at Christina Granette. I don't have X LinkedIn on there either. Um, and then you can just go to pocketcco.com and learn more about what I offer. And if you want to chat and learn more and maybe work together, just reach out. Amazing. Head on over, check out Christina's company. We will also link all of those in the show notes. You can go connect with her on Twitter, check out her company and see other episodes of the show. Christina, thanks again for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.